Welcome back to Parashat Shalach Lecha, the commentary version. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman, and I'm the author of the commentary. We're on the top of page four, and um, we have been talking about Sabbath violation. We talked about how that there was a man in the text who gathered wood on the Sabbath, and the people brought him before Moshe and uh, Hashem instructed Moshe that they stone the violator. We talked about how that the death penalty for a mere violation of a worship day seemed rather harsh. But what we came to understand is that the Sabbath is more than simply a worship day. The Sabbath is a very important principle when uh, viewed through the lens of God's eternal scope uh, as it affects mankind. The Sabbath teaches man that only God can provide the rest that a man's soul longs for. And so it's not enough that we step into the Sabbath day and cease from our working, the six days that God has allotted for us to perform our work. Rather, the Sabbath teaches us on a spiritual level that only in Messiah Yeshua can we find rest. And in that rest, we cease from working, we rest from our labors, we rest, of course, in the sacrifice provided by Yeshua. But we also understand that it is an exclusive rest. No other man or no other created being can provide the rest that God provides to his subjects through Messiah. We understand that principle in the church. But what confuses many Christians is why God deemed it important enough to, uh, to kill the violator to uh, uh, make it a capital offense if you chose to willfully disobey the Sabbath. Repeatedly uh, breaking the Sabbath invi uh, 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 invited the death penalty. And um, in a sort of a midrashic sense, since the door doesn't come right out and say that why it's the death penalty, we just have to kind of infer from the general bulk of the text. Um, in my midrash, I purported, and I think I'm safe in doing so because I'm getting my information from the text itself. Um, the, the general idea of how the text uh, conveys this um, idea to us. We, we found out that um, on a principle, in, in, the, in the spiritual realm, if we refuse God's rest, then God for his part will destroy us. Ultimately, all those who refuse the free gift of Yeshua, when the time comes for them to face their creator, and oh yes, every man will face God. Whether he acknowledged God in his lifetime or not is, is uh, it's unimportant. God will cause every man to give an answer for his actions. And in that day, all those who have refused the Sabbath rest of the Messiah will face death. And so the principle in the heavenly realm seems to match the principle on the earthly realm. Violate Sabbath, death is the wage. <laughs> violate uh, um, uh, God's uh, spiritual principle of, of, of accepting his son, and death is your wage. So, there's where we went in, in part A. In part B of this commentary, I'd like to turn to what is going to occupy the bulk of my commentary. This next section on the top of page 4 is entitled, Garment of Praise. This, and of course that's a um, play off of the verse, you know, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The portion this week contains Judaism's first mitzvah, the very first commandment concerning the tzitzit, that is, the tassel that adorns a modern observant Jewish person's clothing. I might also add that anyone who has decided, whether Jewish or not, to embrace the Hebraic 
lifestyle, which I firmly believe is available to anyone who names the name of Yeshua, whether Jew or Gentile. The Torah is for you. Anyone who names the name of Yeshua is welcome to walk into God's ways. As such, those who are returning to a more Hebraically um, oriented lifestyle as opposed to or compared to the um, traditional lifestyle that has been uh, kind of handed down through the Christian uh, tradition, those who are returning to their Hebraic roots find themselves fascinated by the passages that we're going to be studying over the next few moments. Uh, the tzitzit um, are the colorful fringes that adorn, I, in my commentary it says a, a modern Jewish person's clothing, but um, I simply make the locust, the Judaism sense, they have historically preserved this particular mitzvah for the church to um, examine. But what I'm trying to say is that many non-Jews are embracing this particular mitzvah. In Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 through 41, we clearly have a teaching that the offspring of Avraham, of course this would be <coughs> the first recipients of the text in that sense, the offspring of Avraham was uh, commanded to attach a ribbon of blue to the extremity or the wing of their garments. Now this term extremity or wing has been variously translated as border or hem or um, uh, corner, something to that effect. Uh, Mark McClellan, my own good personal friend and, and um, mentor, I might add, is fond of noting that the word corner is not entirely a, um, an exclusive translation of the word. The Hebrew word is kanaf. And we're going to study the Hebrew a little bit later on down in page, uh, I, I think it's on page 5. Yeah, we'll get to the Hebrew and we'll look at that as well, as you know I typically want to do. But um, the, the word corner <coughs> seems to suggest that God was commanding the Israelites to, first of all, produce four-cornered garments, and then, secondly, to attach this thread of blue to that corner. When, in fact, um, that would seem to make it impossible for anyone who did not have a four-cornered garment to walk into this mitzvah. I believe Mark is right in establishing the precedent that the Hebrew word kanaf, which can be translated as corner, I don't think it's wrong translated as corner, should not be exclusively translated as corner, and rather can be um, variously translated as hem or region or border or something to that effect, giving the allowance for these um, fringes to be attached to the four regions of a person's garment, whether they're corners or not. Now we're going to talk about this later on, but it just seems to just so happens that seems to be that ancient clothing indeed was manufactured with corners. The corners were left um, uh, maybe scalloped corners or they uh, rounded corners or or just uh, maybe accentuated corners where they actually looked kind of like wings or maybe like a like a poncho type garment where it's a you know it's a square garment with a cutout for your head and your arms and you throw it over your head. We'll talk about these possibilities a little later on in my commentary. It's actually easy to assume that these pasukim are meant to be actualized by the males of the community, the men. Uh, these verses seem to be um, <clears throat> aimed at the men. Oftentimes, um, the translations and or the halachot that gets handed down, especially in the Jewish community, understands that God calls the men into leadership. And as the leaders of the community, they are the first and natural not exclusive, but first and natural recipients of the mitzvot. They are to lead by example. 
and why not we are the created leaders and so we have to step up to the plate and accept the role of responsibility that God has placed in our lap we must be willing to lead our communities and we must be willing to lead our families of course we're talking about leading them by serving them we're not talking about lording over them so when you start reading these verses it is no secret that 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 uh, historic Judaism has um, interpreted these verses to be primarily aimed at males and there's a whole slew of reasons as to why the halakha gets engineered to be, in some cases, male only, and in most most cases, um, male only. But in, in in some cases, what I meant to say was, um, it's not exclusively male, but in most cases, it, it tends to be that way. So there's a difference of opinion within Judaism itself as to whether or not a woman can also wear the tassel of blue. The the Hebrew word for blue is tachelit, and uh, while the literal text of verse 38, and again, I'm going to read the Hebrew for you. While the text really literally reads sons in verse 38, the Hebrew word ben in its singular form means son. And um, it's not unusual to find the text speaking to quote unquote the sons of Israel. But we understand that community wise, communities are obviously made up of more than males. And so it's just a general term. Just like we say today, I, I enter into a room full of people, mixed crowd, and I say, okay, are you guys ready to study? Are you guys ready to eat? Are you guys thus and such? I say guys, but even though there are females and males present, the term guys does not really mean exclusively males. You guys get my point there. That seems to be what is allowable, uh, allowable in our understanding of the term sons in, in the uh, biblical text, unless the text context-wise, gives us a reason to believe that it is speaking exclusively to males. So, in verse 38, we have a um, statement that says, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them to wear tzitzit on their garments. And again, historic Judaism has engineered this commandment to be preferably or primarily male-directed. But I believe um, the following paragraph may shed some light on the issue of the differences within some communities as to whether or not women can walk into this mitzvah or not. So, what I want to state right up front, again, is that traditionally, women have not worn the fringes. Within Jewish communities, I'm speaking. Obviously, the locus of my discussion stems from Jewish um, circles. Why? Because, again, it is no secret that the historic church, and I use the word church there, um, in the self-described um, role that the church places herself in as um, adjacent to Israel or um, juxtaposed to Israel, the church of today generally sees themselves as not part and parcel with Israel. Thus, these verses are irrelevant to them on their, in, in their opinion. Um, I, of course, I disagree with that. <clears throat> but So it's a Jewish discussion. Most Christian women aren't asking themselves, may I or may I not wear fringes? This is really kind of a Jewish debate. But because the modern messianic movement, um, of which I'm a part, is comprised of Jews and Gentiles, and, in, and for the most part it's comprised largely of non-Jews, um, then this question is uh, relevant to these communities as well, the emerging Torah communities of today, the Messianic movement, whatever you want to call us. Um, we naturally get caught up into this um, discussion because we have embraced the, these commandments as our own, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, males or females. We look at this command and we say, this is me in the text. I want to put these things on. So, the reasons as to why the women have or have not worn the fringes is varied. But in my line of work, many readers frequently ask me about this unique and exciting mitzvah. So I want to share, again, 
um, kind of an open discussion with my readers here today, my listeners. And uh, I want to, again, use a, a question that someone sent in um, uh, earlier on in my, in my uh, um, days of putting together these commentaries. Um, the readers who sent in questions actually fueled a lot of how I was formulating what I was going to say. So, again, let me borrow a little bit of material this time from my short series called Shomer Mitzvot. It is actually its own separate podcast, my Shomer Mitzvot series. So if you are ever interested... Uh, if you've got iTunes on your computer, you can um, bring up the iTunes store and go to the little search uh, box in the upper right corner of the uh, page and type in the phrase um, type in the phrase messianic and you'll find my Shomer Mitzvot series there. Or you can just go to our website, graftedin.com. The Shomer Mitzvot series is available. It's under the More Lessons section under the link uh, called Commentaries and then click on More Lessons and there's the Shomer Mitzvot series. And um, as time permits, I write more topics, write on more topics, and I, of course, add the audios. So this was, this was caught up in that, this was taken from that particular commentary. All right, a reader wrote in, quote, Rabbi Ariel, can a woman wear a tallit? End quote. Now, I left the question as is, undoctored up. Um, she called me rabbi, even though some people don't um, don't uh, feel comfortable using that title. Um, I neither prohibit the title from being um, used, nor do I command the title to be used. Uh, I simply line myself up with the halacha of whatever community I happen to be in. In this case, I happen to go to the harvest, and the harvest's halakha is that I don't wear the title rabbi. So I don't have a problem with that. But what I did for the readers and what I left in the commentary was, if you notice the little word S-I-C, or sick, right after the term Rabbi Ariel, I left that in there because I wanted the reader to see, and everyone who reads my commentary, to understand that that was the unedited question. What is more, they add, if you notice the tone of the question, it says, Can a woman wear a tallit? Now I want to state right up front that there is a slight difference, at least as I perceive it, between allowing a woman to wear a tallit and allowing a woman to wear tzitzit. Why the difference? Because I understand that a woman can actually wear tzitzit without wearing a tallit. But ancient Judaism originally had the tzitzit created because clothes that, 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 were, um, uh, that were manufactured in a way that you could attach the tzitzit easily to them went out of style. In other words, toga-like cl- clothing went out of style and eventually gave way to the garments that we are more familiar with today where we've got you know, separate pieces, a separate shirt paired up with a pair of pants or, and or a skirt or a dress, long one piece, and, and you have to ask yourself the question, where do you attach the fringes then? So the question really is, can a woman wear a tallit? It's not so much the question of, can a woman wear tzitzit? Of which I would probably just answer right up front, very simply, yes, why not? Why shouldn't a woman be able to wear tzitzit? But the, the question actually surrounds, can she wear a tallit? Now, let us first define what a tallit is, for those of you who don't know. And let's also talk about its function. A tallit, it's, it's generally spelled T-A-L-L-I-T, or if you are from Ashkenazic circles, Ashkenazim, um, then they are used to saying talis. They replace that last T with, a, with an S, a talis. So what is a talis? What is a tallit? And, and just say it like the two words, tall as opposed to short, and eat as opposed to drink. So tall, eat. Well, a tallit is also known as a prayer shawl, and it is a four-cornered rectangular-shaped garment. It usually contains ritual fringes on each of its four corners. Um, 
it um, it is worn for the express purpose, I might say, of fulfilling the following mitzvah that we're going to read about. The I mean, wearing a tallit is in order to fulfill the mitzvah of wearing of donning fringes. That's why the tallit is manufactured in the first place. Now, these tassels that we're going to be talking about that that adorn the tallit, that if you were to hold it up, the tassels are attached to the four corners where they're supposed to be. They are called tzitzit. I've spelled it T Z I T Z I T. So seat seat, but you can pronounce it as if you're looking at two seats, and you just say the look say them back to back rapidly. Seat seat or seat seat. So some people say seat seat, some people say zeet seat, some people say seat zeet, some people say zeet zeet. So uh, the Hebrew letters um, allow for s or t s sound. So this is the seat seat, right? They are attached to the tallit. So keep in mind that the commandment in the Torah is to wear tzitzit. The commandment is not necessarily to wear a talit. So the question gets is now again being uh, shaped and molded, molded as we understand the the reader's question. Can a woman wear a talit? All right. The prayer shawl I might continue to describe is usually adorned with colorful stripes and a special Hebrew-lettered neckband called an atara. Uh, that's to identify the top edge, and usually, when I say Hebrew letter, there is a familiar blessing that, I, and I'll read. It's, it's. Let me see. Is it in my commentary? It should be. If it isn't, I'll go ahead and give it to you. It is. It's way in the back. It's on page thirteen. We'll get to it. There's a blessing on the top, and so if you ever wondered what, if you, if you, if you're a Christian and you're a little new to the Messianic movement, and someone gave you a talit, <clears throat> and you looked at it and it has some Hebrew on it, and you didn't know what it says, I'll tell you what it says a little later on. But the, the, the that. That, that Hebrew part is also there to help identify the top edge. Now, before I provide my controversial answer as to whether or not a woman can wear tallit, um, I, I've got to draw your attention to the specific passage in our commentary that addresses the topic of the fringes. Because, again, the questions are related. Can a woman wear tzitzit? Can a woman wear a tallit? I used the term controversial just a moment ago because, again, Judaism's halacha today, generally speaking within orthodox circles, this was until the invention of Reformed Judaism, which is more or less a modern invention. Orthodox Judaism is, 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 is a little more older. Orthodox Judaism generally prefers women not to wear tallit. Reformed Judaism, by comparison, which is kind of the opposite spectrum, you've got you know, one on the left side and one on the right side, one liberal, one being um, uh, conservative. And the um, the reform, which tends to be a little more liberal in their interpretation of Torah, tends to uh, not only ordain, for instance, um, rab rab women as rabbis, but they also encourage women to wear the uh, talit. And so I, I put controversial answer there. So in, in one sense, I am describing halakha. My answer is going to be halakhic in nature. Although I don't have the um, authority to... Uh, to establish halakha for the, the the different communities of people who are listening to my commentaries. So you're just going to have to get with your leadership. In the end, after you've read my commentary, you women who are reading my commentary, and and uh, I, I'm not surprised that m many women are actually reading my commentaries. I'm Baruch Hashem. Well, you're going to have to step, you're going to, if you're married, you're going to have to ask your husbands. And if you're single, you need to check in with your leaders, uh, your, your messianic rabbis, your messianic pastors, your pastors, your, your leaders, those people. Okay, so let's go. What I want to read first is Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 through 40 out of the New American Standard Version. And then I'm going to read the Hebrew. 
and and of which in this case I've got on the written notes I've got the Hebrew transliterated if you want to follow along that way. And then we're going to go and start kind of exegeting the passage, which is my typical style, right? Read the passage and then exegete it. Pick apart the Hebrew words, pick apart the context, and get down to the nitty gritty. Okay, here we go. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 through 40, out of the New American Standard Version, the NAS. Quote, The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they make for themselves tassels on the uh, corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a thread of a cord of blue. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, in order that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Okay, end quote. Now, in my statement there, let's see, I think in the written commentary I emphasized in verse 39 where it says, um, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember. I emphasize that part. I bolded it. The reason is, is because that will kind of play into my answer as to why we're wearing what we're wearing. Okay? Let's now turn to the Hebrew real, real quick. I love providing the Hebrew because, again, many people who listen to my podcasts don't speak Hebrew. I would be delighted to find out that um, Hebrew-speaking peoples are listening to my podcast Uh i.e. perhaps Jewish people who are curious about things Messianic, and uh, I'm, I would be delighted to know that they're listening to the podcast. But in more uh, practical circles, most people listening to my podcast, viz Christians, and many Messianics, are not versed in Hebrew. And so I always like to hear the Hebrew myself. Even before I could speak Hebrew or, or knew a little bit of Hebrew, I liked to hear it spoken, um, because I, I want to begin to put it into my mind and acclimating my ears to hearing it is the first step. And so whenever I get the opportunity, I listen to Hebrew. I listened, this is before I knew it, I listened to Hebrew podcasts, or I would um, you know, tune into Hebrew radio stations, or you know anything I could find Hebrew-wise, I would eat it up. Even not knowing what they said, I just wanted to hear it, I wanted to put it inside of me. Because this is the language that God preserved the bulk of the scriptures in. So I, since once I learned how to read it, I made a commitment to myself that I would read it for those in my communities as often as I could. So that's why I read it a lot. I'm not trying to show off or anything like that. But um, let's read the Hebrew. And sometimes there are only things that you can find in the Hebrew, so that's another reason why we need to read it. So here we go. The Hebrew of this same verse says, Vayumer Adonai el Moshe lemor, Daber el b'nei Yisrael va'amarta alehem va'asu lahem, it continues, Lemaan tizkru, va asitem et kol mitzvotai, vi hitem kdoshim le elohechem. Ani adonai elohechem, asher hotzeiti et chem me eretz mitzrayim, lichot lachem, le elohim, ani adonai elohechem. Okay, let's diagram it. I'm sorry, let's, let's dissect it. 
let's look at the different wordings that were used. Now, um, let me look at my commentary here. Okay. Uh, I want to draw your attention to verse... Let's see. Let me look at it again. Verse 38, which in the English said, Speak to the sons of Israel. Okay, We talked firstly that the literal Hebrew says, Daber el b'nei Yisrael. Speak to the sons, b'nei Yisrael. The, um, the phrase there, b'nei Yisrael, literally means sons of Israel. Now, even though it says sons, we already established that the term sons in, in Judaism uh, can refer to the males only, literally the boys, or if the context demands, it refers to the entire community. Sons of Israel simply is a sociological term for those people descended from Israel. Of course, the man who was born Jacob and God renamed him Israel. So sons of Israel just means descendants. And that's exactly how your translations will put it sometimes. Speak to the sons of Israel. Or alternately, speak to the children of Israel. Or alternately, speak to the people of Israel. Where, in my opinion, the word people is not really the best because there's a different Hebrew word for people. But descendants of Israel, generations of Israel, speak to the families of Israel. That's what we're trying to say. In other words, first right up front, we don't see necessarily an exclusive contextual reading uh, that would warrant that this is males only. Okay? That's the first thing I want to bring highlight in the Hebrew. Then in that same Pasik, that same verse, it says, And tell them, speaking to sons, tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments. And in the Hebrew, it said, Va'armarta alehim, va'asu, make lahem them. Tzitzit, there, there we have our word tzitzit, tzitzit al kanfei bigdehim. Um, tzitzit, that is to say, fringes al upon kanfei, the corners of bigdehim. The, the beged is the singular Hebrew word for garment. Bigdehim, their garments. It's just a plural. So, tzitzit upon the gar upon the fringes of their garments. Um, kanaf, the Hebrew word there following the word al, tzitzit al kanfei bigdehim. The word kanaf there, as we have um, talked about, <coughs> is the location that God said to place the tzitzit. Now, the, the point of contention is, part of the point of contention is, what does this word kanaf mean? Does it mean wing? Does it mean extremity? Does it mean border? Does it mean hem? Does it mean corner? <coughs> Sorry about that. Lost my voice there. What does kanaf mean? Well, if you look in a concordance, you'll find that it means all of those things. Corner, wing, extremity, border, hem, things like that. It depends on the context and the uh, force of the uh, the way the word is being utilized in the passage. For instance, in Malachi, familiar prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, it says that when the Son of Righteousness arises, and the word Son there is S-U-N, when the Son of Righteousness arises, or uh, comes, he will arise and he will have healing in his wings. And the word wings there is our familiar word kanaf in the Hebrew. And so, the Messiah had wings? Wings? Most, most versions translate it wings. But it could just as easily be translated he will have healing in his corners, healing in his borders, healing in his in his um, extremities, um, and so it's an, it makes for an interesting um, an interesting commentary. If you'd like to hear more about that particular aspect of that passage as well, I encourage you to go to our website graftedin.com. Right on the front page, there is a graphic, a picture, and I, uh, it's not even an icon; it's actually just a photo with with a link attached to it. There's a picture of Mark in the in the radio studio. I think he's in front of a microphone. If you look. I'm not in front of my computer at the moment, so I can't tell you. But click on that. It's the Tor Talk radio show. 
and listen to and or download the um, the podcast show uh, to the commentary to Shalach Lecha that we recorded um, not too long ago in proximity to this podcast that you're listening to. And uh, in that commentary, it's called Shalach Lecha Tassels, I think it's called. Give that a listen. 30 minutes long. Sherry, myself, and Mark were in the studio, and we had a good time. And we talk about the Messianic passage of, of Malachi. So this word tzitzit shows up uh, as being the location where God instructed the people to uh, attach the fringe. The um, I'm sorry, kanaf is where God said to attach the tzitzit upon their garments. And so was there any other words I wanted to look at real quick before I jump into my commentary? Let's see. <coughs> make themselves tassels on the corners of the garments throughout the generations, that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. Uh, we'll talk about the color blue, the tachelet, a little bit as well, but it's not extremely pertinent to my study at the moment that we know what the color is. Uh, blue or and or shade of purple um, is, has been recognized as either one of those. Okay, I suppose that's all for the Hebrew now. Here in Numbers, uh, as we've discussed already, chapter uh, 15, verse 37 through 41, what we find is a series of verses specifically aimed at teaching Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, how to revere Hashem and His Torah. According to the Talmudic rabbis, one of the possible incidents that sparked the giving of the Talmud Mitzvah in the first place was the violation of Shabbat. And of course, that's why I talked about Shabbat violation in Part A of my commentary. Because in the portion... The uh, narrative about the Sabbath violator in chapter 15, verse 32 to 36, precedes our section here on the mitzvah of the tzitzit, right? So it's natural to make the leap from violate Sabbath to wear tzitzit so that you don't violate Sabbath. It's, it's, it's a natural um, connection to make, so I won't fault the Talmudic rabbis this time. Um, another possibility that they offer is the upcoming... Uh, rebellion involving Korach and its bunch of rebels, which is going to be in our next parasha. Um, we're going to find, we're going to see that as well. I think it's actually called Parasha to Korach, if I'm correct. I don't know. So uh, these again, these possibilities, these um, suggestions, are inferred by the immediate context of the chapters. And to be honest with you, whether the rabbis are right or not, they are in fact demonstrating a proper hermeneutic. Whenever you read something in the text, you should be practicing the primary hermeneutic of context. The context of a passage determines the um, the interpretation of the passage, the surrounding verses and things like that. So it's a very good practice. However, the mitzvah of wearing the uh, the fringes, <clears throat> as the rabbis are, are, are obviously going to recognize, wearing tzitzit, I'm sorry, wearing fringes spans the entire context of Torah observance. Because if you look at the Pasek, again, God says... Um, in verse 39. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as, not, so as to do them and not follow after your own heart. Obviously, Hashem says to remember all the mitzvot, all the commandments. So it's not just one commandment that God had in mind when he gave the tzitzit. Obviously, it is so that we can remind ourselves or be reminded by the Spirit of God that uh, that uh, we are his and that we are to represent his name. Torah observance is the reason why we wear the tzitzit. Compliance with God's ways and compliance with God's laws. We place ritual fringes on the corners of the garments to serve as a visual reminder that Hashem 
is our God, and that he was serious when he told us to keep the commandments, not just the Sabbath. God gives us commandments that are for our good. We cannot outthink out God. We cannot think that, that anything that he does for us is, is um, superfluous. God does not give us arbitrary commands. We're talking about the sovereign of the universe, people. We need to show a little bit of respect. It is very unfortunate that the, again, the Christian church that, that developed over the past 2,000 years or so looked at this mitzvah and relegated them to mere ceremonial or religious significance. And in doing so, dismissed them part and parcel with the parts of the Torah that, that looked too Jewish to them. It is a very, very big shame that the church has not preserved the integrity of God's text by allowing God's commandments to stand on their own merit because they are given by God himself. Why would God give a command and then have his son come and uproot the command, especially something as, and, and you can take it either way, something as either simple as attaching a, a fringe to your garment or something as profound as attaching a fringe to your garment. You see my point? Either way we slice it. Let's just say it's simple. Why uproot it? Let's just say it's profound. Well, then definitely why uproot it? So it's on, it's a shame that, that, that the church has inherited this particular um, viewpoint and, and has taken a stance. It is my aim that these particular commentaries would re-educate said Christians in the areas related to um, becoming Torah respectful. I mean, give me a break. How hard is it to attach fringes to your garment? What kind of signal does it send to those in your community? Maybe that's the real problem. Anyway, I'm chasing a rabbit, okay? And rabbits aren't even kosher, so I'll stop chasing one. Let's go back to my commentary. We're on the top of page six. Uh, again, as I already mentioned, when we're talking about where these fringes were uh, actually attached to the garment, if you'll recall, uh, and you can figure this out, uh, in ancient Israel, these fringes adorned the, cor the, the corners of the actual garment that was worn as part of everyday dress. In other words, I understand or I perceive that the seat seat was actually sewn into the garment. It was not removable like it is today. Um, nowadays, uh, when you buy a, 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 a talit, if you want to go to a Judaica store and pick up a talit, or, or just do a Google search for the word T-A-L-L-I-T -L -L or T-A-L-L-I-S, either one will work, and click on the images part of the Google search and look at the photos and, and get one that you can see very closely, and you'll see that the seat seat are actually attached or, or placed there as a, almost a side thought. They're not actually, actually part of the uh, the garment from manufacturer's point of view. In other words, it's not part of the existing thread. It's actually a separate um, uh, feature of the garment that gets attached, uh, of course, in rabbinic um, rabbinic practice. It, 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 sometimes it gets attached semi-permanently. Other times you can make tzitzit so that they have a little loop on them, a little, like a little noose loop, and you can slip them in and off, uh, off of your garments. But in, in ancient Israel... We're probably talking about garments that where the tzitzit was, was the trailing threads that were um, left longer, and then we, the blue thread was, in fact, sewn towards or sewn into that uh, existing thread. So ancient garments probably functioned similar to a sheet with cutouts for the hidden arms, or perhaps they may have resembled what we would call a dress today, you know, like a toga. Um, but, of course, as time went on, styles changed, but, you know, the mitzvah remained. Judaism was not going to let this commandment get away from them. It is very fortunate that Judaism has taken the stance that they have and said, you know what, God? 
we may have issues with who we believe is Messiah, but we understand that you're God, and therefore we are going to be fiercely monotheistic, and when you give a command, we're going to hold true to the command until you say otherwise. If you give a command that we can no longer perform, viz, for instance, the um, tabernacle duties or the temple duties, because there's no priests, there are no temples, there's nothing like that. Um, if you're going to give a command and then you're going to render it in, uh, inoperable or, or, or undoable, well, then that's your doing, God. We recognize that, that that's your work. But far be it from us to uproot any command on our own, because we understand that when you said, this is, I'm speaking as if I'm Jews, uh, a Jew, whether I'm Messianic or not, I'm speaking as Jews speak, we understand, God, that you said, do not add to or subtract from these words. We have no right to uproot your commandments. And you know what? That is right. The Christian church should have taken their cue from that Jewish position. It's unfortunate that the two people split. I'm not blaming either group. It's unfortunate that the animosity exists between the two groups. It's my aim to heal that split. So, Judaism realized that styles changed, styles of clothing, so they had to kind of come up with a clever way to preserve this particular mitzvah. So what did they do? They created the tali to contain the four corners in which to attach the tassels. So from this passage that we just read, we actually learn that the actual mitzvah is directed towards the tassels themselves. That's my point that I'm going to make. Now, of course, whenever you get two or three Jews together, you're bound to come up with five or six opinions. Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's, there's a truth to it. So you are going to find, if you ask another Jewish person, you are going to find an opinion that says, oh no, the commandment is to wear the four-cornered garment. That's alright, I'm, I'm willing to allow a little bit of room for argument there. But primarily, it seems like the Peshat of the verse is talking about the tassels and not the talit. Although according to some, again, rabbinic sources, the fringes in the talit are tandem objects and cannot be separated in discussion. So, again, um, a lot of what we're going to be studying is both commandment and a lot of what we're going to be studying is, is as well, tradition. Because the Torah commands us to do something, and then as time goes by, we kind of have to improvise on how the commandment is actually walked out. That's the role and function of halakha, people. That's halakha. That's, that's group policy or practical application of the written text. Uh, in some cases, it, it can actually become Jewish law. So halakha's role is to humanize the Word of God so that we can actually take the objective text and clothe ourselves, pun intended, with the commandment. Okay, And so to that end, I want to go ahead and call this Part B, about 40 minutes into the commentary. And when we come back, we're still on top of page 6. We're going to talk about um, this question, can a woman wear a talit? And we're going to talk about um, how the Talmud addressed this question. We're going to do, talk a little bit about tradition as well. Okay, Stay with us.